Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Sexology Institute. It's Tuesday, May 29th, 2018, and we are sitting down with Melissa Jones, the Institute's founder and director. We are talking about her origin story, personal background, and how she arrived where she is today. Melissa is going to open up about some aspects of her life that she has not previously discussed publicly before. And in future podcasts, we're going to go more in-depth about what makes the people of the Sexology Institute so unique. Their stories are even more interesting than you may think. Tell me about your upbringing. From the time I was born? Wherever you want want to start. Okay. Well, uh, I was born and raised in Provo, Utah. Lived there until I was 20. Oh, no, I was 21 when I moved to Oklahoma, first time out of the state of Utah. So, uh, oldest daughter of actually fifth generation oldest daughter, so lots of need to be responsible and, you know, be on top of everything, thing, organize everything, lots of responsibility there. Um, wonderful parents that I loved a ton and great siblings that I feel like I had good relationships with. Of course, grew up in the Mormon church, LDS in Provo. You pretty much have to be LDS. I think there was one person in a probably a whole mile radius whose family wasn't, and they got baptized eventually. So, so what was that like being surrounded by everyone who um, believes the same as you do? Well, until I moved out of Texas, it didn't seem strange to me. I'm sorry, outside of Utah. Until I moved outside of Utah, it didn't seem strange. I just felt like. Everyone around me thought the same. I thought the same. It was just the norm. Now, what was it like being a teenager? Tell me about your teenager years. So, uh, I think I liked being a teenager overall. You know, you have your first love, crushes, heartbreaks, things like that that you have to deal with. But but overall, um, your typical high school fun things going to football games. I was super, super into Future Homemakers of America, which is now FCCLA, Future Career and Consumer Leaders of America. So I did a lot with that and was a national officer and um, got to travel a lot with that. And the nice thing was my mom taught at my high school, which I didn't think was a nice thing when she started my freshman year. So it, it really brought us a lot closer also that she was able to do a lot of that with me. And what was your, you mentioned, you know, during a teen, your teenage years, you know, crushes, loves, what was your view on sexuality at that time? Well, of course, the, and you know, it's interesting because I don't even really know that it was taught from my parents. My parents actually are pretty liberal, so I don't think I ever got, I mean, other, I mean, I always got positive sexual messages from my parents as far as, um, you know, sex is good, sex shouldn't, you shouldn't be ashamed of sex. Those were all very positive messages. All the messages I learned about sex were, of course, from church lessons. And that you don't, you shouldn't even make out because then making out could lead to something more. And if you make out, then you're a floozy or a slut or you're easy and you don't want that reputation. And then, of course, you know, you don't want to be alone with a boy and all of these rules that you learned in in church lessons and, you know, young women activities. And did you take those lessons to heart? Um... I tried, but I I remember one lesson in particular. Uh, I was probably about 16, 
and at that time had had several boyfriends, which I shouldn't have even had a boyfriend according to the church until I, well, they tell you not even to have a boyfriend until you're marrying age, but I had had several boyfriends before I could even date officially at 16. So, you know, dates that weren't dates, hanging out with each other, that kind of thing. But anyway, I had a young woman lesson and my teacher intended it to be a good lesson and came from a good place in her heart. Um, she had gotten pregnant as a teenager, so she was using that experience for us, reminding us just the pitfalls that we could um, encounter that might get us in the same situation she did. And so she gave us all a candy bar and told us to take it home and keep it on our shelf as a reminder that we should be chased and that we shouldn't put ourselves in situations um, where we might get, quote, in trouble. And it was fascinating, meaning we didn't eat all day and we were you know help us be more spiritual and in tune with the spirit so needless to say I was starving and I ate my candy bar on the way home from church and I still to this day feel guilty that I ate my candy bar on the way home from church so what did that mean to you at the time as you're eating that candy bar uh, I think a little bit of it was an fu. I think now that I look back at it a little passive aggressiveness but at the same time truly I was just hungry and it was chocolate so so then as you move out of your teenage years into your young adulthood, how did your view on things change or did it change at all as you're moving from those teenage years into the prospective marriage years, or if that's how you were thinking at the time? Well, of course. I mean, young women in the church, especially at that time, um, were very, very much taught our goal was to get married in the temple and become a wife and a mother and support our husbands and the priesthood. So that was my goal. Education was important to me, but the overlying message in the church for sure, for my generation, I think they're getting a little bit better at focusing on education, but at the time it really truly was get married, get married, get married. And you know, at the time, my friends who weren't married by 21, then the, their backup plan was a mission. And I knew I never wanted to serve a mission. That wasn't anything that was even remotely on my radar. So my goal getting out of high school was immediately going to the young single adult ward and you know start dating with intent, with intent and purpose of you know finding my my chosen one, the one that God has has set aside for me. And how did you think you were going to find this chosen one? No, I don't know that I thought that deeply. I just thought if I follow everything the church is telling me, if I go to my young adult activities and you know, the young adult family prayer, ward prayer, and all of those things that it would just happen. And I look at it now and think, whoa, I probably really freaked out my parents because the first person I started dating in the young adult ward was 29 and I was 18. How did that work <laughs> so, out? So, um, didn't, he, he actually wanted to marry me and I knew that that, first of all, I, I, he was very, 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 very respectful, very nice person. But in my heart of hearts, I knew it would never work. And also, I still was kind of a free spirit, I think, even though I didn't want to admit it. And so we ended up breaking breaking up. You didn't think it would work because of the age difference or something else? Um, I think partially the age difference and just I, I recognized I wasn't ready for marriage at 18. I had just, I mean, it, this was the fall of, you know, right after graduating. I graduated high school at 17, so I turned 18 in the fall 
and you were were you still living at home at this time? I was. I was living at home. All right. So you dated this guy and broke up with him. Mm-hmm. Then, then what came next in your progress into adulthood? Dating wise or overall? Yeah, I'd say dating or otherwise, dating. whatever's okay, on your so, mind. So then, I mean, I'm sure, I don't remember specific people, but I'm sure I dated, I, I mean, I feel like I hung out with a lot of boys and groups of people, but nothing else serious again until I met the person that I was married to the first time. And again, older, I must have been attracted to older men. Wow. Huh. Anyway, he was much older than me. And who is this we're talking about now? The person I was married to. Okay. Well, let's back let's back up kind of a question before you tell us about your future husband. Were you sexually now? If you don't want to answer these questions, don't you don't have to, of course. But what was your sexuality at this time as a young woman? Because there's a general idea that you know Mormon young women are are chaste, and that's an expectation of them. How did that um, expectation match up with your own feelings and actions? I tried really hard to be chaste and not to do anything outside of the line um, of, of, quote, intercourse or, you know, the idea of what we all thought was having sex. Now, as a sexologist, to me, there's so much more that, that is included in that umbrella of having sex, which I definitely think I probably did when I was dating and, you know, especially um, once I started dating very seriously. But at the time, I felt like I was okay because I had not, you know, had penile penetration into my vagina. So I was good. I was still a virgin and I was good. But pushing the boundaries pretty much on everything that you could think of up to that point. So you're saying at the time you didn't seem like you felt much guilt about it, but do, um, you, do I, you now, looking no, back? Oh, no, I don't feel any guilt now. I think at the time... I, I almost think I felt guilty for not feeling guilty, if that makes sense. I was told I should feel guilty, but I enjoyed it and I liked it. And so I felt guilty that I enjoyed it and liked it and didn't feel guilt. Kind of a strange conundrum, but... Okay, so I'm trying to pitch that so you... All right, I think I understand. All right, we'll go on. Um, so about your fiance. So tell us more about this. So I, um, at the time, was working a full-time job at Nordstrom and traveling back and forth from Provo to Salt Lake City. and Which is about how far apart? And about 40, well, it wasn't quite Salt Lake. It was Fashion Place, so about 30-minute drive. Um, and driving back and forth. And At the time, I started a new job in Provo so that I could not have the commute and, you know, just with my school schedule, things like that. And I met this this person my very first day of work. And from the minute I met him, he just immediately started wooing me and doing everything, you know, that you can imagine. He asked me to lunch and I came back from lunch and there were 12 long stem red roses on my desk love notes, just everything you could imagine, just, you know, making me fall in love with who I thought he was and this vision of what every young woman wants, you know, kind of just total romance. It was, it was like a rom-com, just if you can even imagine that. What were some examples of rom-com-ish things that happened? 
uh, just going out of his way to bring me food, to bring me treats, to find, you know, leaving my favorite candy bar on my desk, writing me love notes, um, showing up early to pick me up for work so he could take me to work, waiting for me after work if I wasn't done yet. I mean, just all the different kinds of things that you would expect and that, you know, we were taught in the church, you know, look for respectful young men that do these things for you. And he fit the mold. Okay. So then how did, what, where did it go from there? So quickly progressed and long story short, we ended up getting engaged, which pretty much everyone around me um, thought was just a horrible idea. My parents, friends, family, everyone just thought it was a horrible idea because um, he, this person in particular had a kind of a reputation. He'd been, been engaged several times before. Um, just a lot of inconsistencies. I don't want to out that person too much. I mean, it, it is what it is. But there were a lot of red flags and concerns for what was going on. And for me, I was just so awed by everything he was doing, you know, that checked off my boxes of what I was taught a man should be like and, you know, your future husband should be like. And on top of that, if I ever had a concern and went to him, he always had such a good story to convince me as to why what I heard was wrong or, you know, incorrect. Okay. And without going into all you know, the details of the relationship, how was the sex, what were the, since this is a, a sex-themed podcast and conversation, what was the issues regarding sexuality at that time for you? Well, I was waiting to get married, to have sex. That was, you know, the goal. Um, of course, lots of making out, things like that. But overall, I felt like I was pretty chaste with him, which was one reason why I thought, okay, this is the person. This is the person that I'm going to be with because, you know, we respect each other and it's going to work out. Okay. And so where'd it go from there? Um, well, we got married. And the day of our marriage, my dad actually sat me down and said, you don't have to do this. You don't have to go through this with this. And at that point, I knew in my heart of hearts it wasn't a good thing. Um, but... I was 19, I was young, we had spent all this money on a reception, I had all this family who had come in from everywhere, invitations were out, and I just did not know how to stop the train. It was just, it had left the station and it was going, and I was on it and didn't want to be, but I did not know how to get off. And luckily for me, my parents you know, were very supportive and loving and understanding. And so the day of the wedding, my dad said, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do this. And I said, yes, I do. And got married and really quickly, within a week, realized it was a horrible mistake um, and ended up moving home and getting an annulment. All right. Anything else you wanted to talk about that? Uh, I think that's a whole podcast in and of itself. So, Well, it's up to you if you want to go there or not, or we can talk about that another time. Yeah, we'll talk about that another time. Okay. So you get the annulment, and what's going on in your life at this point now? So at that point, I felt incredibly lost because I felt like everything I had done um, up to that point was what I'd been taught in church. You know, find a husband, get married in the temple, do all of those things, and I had done it, and the formula fell apart completely. And so I was very angry, very frustrated, very upset. Um, the wedding itself cost a lot of money, so there was a lot of money on my parents' part that had been spent, and 
I had left school at that point to work because that's what I was going to do was work to support him through school and so it just it really it was just overall a really horribly bad time for me and I got super super depressed. Now, what were you you had some close friends during this time where that you're getting input from friends on what was going on? No, actually through the annulment I lost a bunch of my friends because uh, I mean again that's a whole other podcast but uh, they very much sided with the person I had been married with because he was really good at convincing people to his side and I'm not a very strong assertive person either so my way of approaching things sometimes is just to ignore it or back off or retreat and so I didn't have a huge support system other than my immediate family. So going through this what was your relationship to God and your church at that time? So during that time I I got very angry and upset. I was still trying to go to church but I, I it was just making me more depressed to go to church. So it finally got to the point where actually I decided that life wasn't worth living anymore and luckily my parents picked up on that and realized I had a plan and had letters written and all that good stuff and decided to get me some help so I was actually admitted to an inpatient um, psychiatric hospital for a good part you know uh, I think seven weeks six seven weeks just to get some really good intensive therapy going on Wow. and I had a therapist there that was awesome that realized so much of what I was going through and the guilt I was feeling and all the frustration was so tied up in the church and the church messages and just all this conflict I had and so he told me to take a break from church and just figure myself out first and then go back to church when I was ready but that you know my mental health was much more important and were you willing to take a break from church at that time oh I was I think just I was so angry and it, and it was a relief. It was a relief to have someone who, um, I hate to say it, but who was a man who was a priesthood leader who, you know, had this authority to tell me, take a break. As your mental health professional, take a break. Even though my mom, my dad had been telling me that, you know, it was different. I don't know why. It shouldn't have been. Looking, you know, in, in hindsight, it shouldn't have made a difference, but it was a relief to have that permission. I mean, this is something we can get into later, but it sounds like you said that there's, you know, your, your father had given you some advice prior to getting married. You'd had these, you know, men in your life. One was 10 years older than you. There's your fiancé who becomes your husband. And as therapists, these men that are kind of instructing you on, on things. Looking back now, do you, and I'm not sure how I'm asking the question, but what's your thoughts on this male-controlled Sexuality, there's male control to permission. Um, I'm not really asking that right. Kind of the patriarchy of sex a little bit, or mm-hmm. sexuality. Do you, or... do you look back now and see if the patriarchy of sex growing up? Um, I, I, I don't think that I thought of, of it as the patriarch, you know, patriarchal society of sex um, at the time. I mean, definitely, yeah, I, I think so. But at the time, I didn't. Um, instead, you know, it was just always honored the priesthood, honored the priesthood, honored the priesthood, listened to your male priesthood holders, you know, all these men. It's like women couldn't think for themselves. And I think that was part of my confusion and frustration 
you know, when this all happened was I wanted to think for myself. I wanted to make my own decisions, but I was just so conflicted. Do you feel like you've gotten beyond that now? In a lot of ways, but a lot of ways, no. I mean, I still fall back into old habits. I think um, I'm doing much better, but I definitely feel like I've tried very hard this last year to not say I'm sorry to everything and to everyone because that was, you know, the tendency of, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have been that way growing up and, you know, very much into, you know, the apolog- being apologetic all the time, even if I didn't need to be. So I've been trying to break that cycle, uh, but I fall back into things definitely. You said at that time you had stopped going to school. What was your schooling what, what were you doing for school at that time? Um, I was at BYU, and I originally had wanted to become BYU, BYU Brigham Young University. And I was originally first semester pre-med. And again, going back to men, um, I met with the advisor for the pre-medical program, and he told me that women should not go to medical school. And of course, I listened to him, which now I think, what, what was I thinking? And he told me I'd be much better off to be a nurse or to do something that I could do as a mom because I wouldn't want to be a doctor because women could not be doctors and still you know, be good LDS mothers. If you could go back and talk to that version of yourself, the 18, 19 year old, would you give yourself any advice, any instructions? Oh yeah, I would definitely just say, listen to your heart and be true to you. Don't listen to the message, don't listen to the culture. Just be true to what's in your heart and what your desires are follow them and it may be uncomfortable and it may really be hard you may lose friends you may feel like you lose friends but those aren't your true friends but just do it just follow your heart do you think that 18 year old Melissa would have listened oh I would like to think so but honestly no I don't think so I don't think I think I was just so embedded in everything around me the culture the church I mean it was it's everywhere All right, so you were getting the the mental health you needed, and you were there for seven weeks? Yeah, six or seven weeks. Okay. And I assume you did well enough. You got out, and now you're kind of starting over at the the beginning. It sounds like your relationship with your ex-husband had ended. Uh, you're not I'm in school. I'm even calling my next husband because he wasn't. We were in annulment, but yes. Okay. The person I was married to for a week. <laughs> the person you're married to. All right. So you're out of the mental health facility, not married, not going to school. Where are you at in life at that point? So I went home and, and lived with my parents for a while after that, and eventually found an apartment, um, right off of BYU campus. I wasn't going to BYU at the time, but just so I could be around. You know, people my age, but be away from the young single adult ward and, you know, people up in my mom and dad's area. So I moved into this apartment and just started a full-time job at that point and was just trying to find myself. Um, I never went to that ward ever, actually. Why was that? Uh, Because I was taking a break from church, which, you know, and again, that just was kind of a a society, not a society, a, it was just a setup, I guess, for me having to lie to my roommates, you know, when they were all going off to church saying, oh, I'm going to my mom and dad's ward, but I really wasn't. So you felt like you needed to cover, so that I still you... needed to, even though I had that permission, you know, in my head, 
I still had to cover where I was so that people would assume, oh, she's good LDS girl. Okay. All right. So you're living there in the apartment with these roommates trying to uh, take a break from church and you're still not going to school, but you're working. Mm-hmm. And tell us what comes next in the story. So I decided it's time to start dating a little bit, you know, start getting back out there, see what happens. And so I was set up on a couple dates from friends. Um, my cousin set me up on a date with one of his roommates and kind of the theme consistently was we would go on a couple of dates, it would go well, I would tell him you know, what had happened because I felt like I needed to be honest and so I would tell him I was married, it was for a week, you know, give him the whole background and every time that was it. No phone calls back, no other dates, some of them to my face would just say, oh I'm sorry, you know, that's not what I'm looking for. And it was just crushing and devastating. And I just thought, all right, well, it is what is it? it is. And I'm going to stop dating now at this point. Like, the, you know, just kind of take time off. Why do you think that was? Why would they act that way towards you? Oh, because I was used goods. And every, you know, young men in the church, you're supposed to have a gem, a pearl. Your virtue is the most important thing. And so in their minds, being married before you know, whether or not it was consummated, that didn't matter to them. It was that I, I had not made a virtuous choice. I had chosen to get married. I had done something wrong. So another question, again, maybe sensitive and delicate, you and said you perhaps your marriage wasn't consummated. Is that a big deal to you or was that a big deal to say, well, married but not consummated versus if you had consummated the marriage, would that have even made you feel worse? Uh. No, I don't think so, because I was judged for it either way. It doesn't, it didn't matter. Okay. So, having a difficult time dating, and then what? And then I, uh, happened just one day, it was February 15th, um, I happened to be at my mom and dad's house, I just ran in the door really quickly, and the telephone was ringing, and of course... And what year is this? Sorry. Um, this was 92... Yeah, 1992. And I, the phone was ringing and I happened to answer it. And it was Mackie Jones, my next door neighbor from when I was growing up. And he asked me out on a date. And I thought, sure, it'll be fun. At least I'll get a free meal out of it before he figures out I had been married before and doesn't want to take me out again. So I'll go for dinner. And so we met at... Um, the training table restaurant and had dinner and it was really nice and super pleasant and I really really enjoyed him and I thought all right well don't bask in this because when he figures it out he's not gonna want to take you out again and then we went and got a video back in the days when you had to rent videos for the night and went back to my apartment and we watched a video with my roommate and as he was getting ready to leave we were standing at the front door and I told him, I said, you know, here's, he, first of all, he asked me if he could kiss me. And I thought, oh yeah, okay, kiss me, but I won't see you again. So he kissed me and it was amazing and wonderful. And I thought, oh, I could really like this guy. But I thought, okay, I need to tell him what happened because he's going to figure it out eventually, especially since, you know, he had grown up in my, in my parents' ward and his mom knew people. I'm sure that they, you know, his mom was already aware of the story. 
he was going to figure this out really quickly. So just be honest. So I just, you know, I told him, hey, I need to let you know. I was married before. It was a week. It was annulled. You know, this is what happened. And he said, I don't care. Can I call you tomorrow? And I thought, yeah, right. He's just being polite at the door. But sure enough, he called me the next day. So where did it go from there? So from there, everything just kind of evolved incredibly quickly. And we were engaged nine days later. But I'm not really sure how we got engaged because there wasn't an official proposal. But got engaged nine days later. Um, we eloped four months after that. And now I've been married 26 years, so I think it was a good decision. All right, so how did, uh, how was, I mean, I guess we could ask lots of questions about the relationship there, but how was sex in early marriage, or how did that transition? So now you're in a marriage, and so it's like a successful marriage, and so early marriage, how's life, how's the, how's the, the sexuality aspect of life going since you're now in that the wedding you the marriage you wanted oh I thought it was good but I'm sure that I'm sure Mac probably wanted more but didn't know how to ask for it I think uh, we both felt like we were you know having sex the right LDS slash Mormon way which means missionary position you know lights off don't use toys don't use lube don't have too much fun. Enjoy it, but don't have too much fun with it. What does too much fun mean? Uh, I think for me, that meant, you know, not being loud, not moving, not asking for my wants and my desires, you know, not asking to get done with an orgasm or, you know, being honest if I was finished or whatever. I think it was just, again, that message of sex is for procreation, it's for your husband's enjoyment, and, you know... You just kind of take what you're given. Were you wanting to ask for things or move or be loud? Oh, definitely. That you felt like you couldn't? Yeah, oh no, that message was just ingrained in my head. Was that an explicit message taught? Not at all. No, it wasn't. It was just more of a, you know, kind of that unwritten rule. Where do you think you learned that unwritten rule from? How does that message get taught to young women? You know, that's a really good question. I think just, you know, the idea, the message over and over and over of, you know, what a good young woman, or I'm sorry, what a good LDS woman is, you know, that we should be demure and we should not have the voice of our own. And, you know, all of that just kind of translated into, well, if this is everyday life, then it must be in the bedroom also. So would you consider that, do you think you were having normal sex for... For a Mormon couple? Oh, I think so. I enjoyed it. I had I, I had fun with sex. Did you have any idea of what it was like to not be a Mormon couple, what the rest of the world was doing, and how your life was comparing to theirs? Or was that something that didn't really cross your radar? I don't even radar? think it crossed my radar. And, you know, and especially then, because there were, you know, no internet, no fo- cell phones, nothing that you could get things immediately. So... And then, of course, growing up in, in Utah, Utah County, I mean, magazine covers there are still covered if it has too much, you know, graphic content, which means a woman in a bikini. So, you know, there was nowhere really to learn that possibly there was a different way of doing things. It was just the way it was. So was there anything, in, 
that you wanted to do different? I mean, you mentioned, you know, asking for things um, that you wish you had done different or that maybe perhaps you push limits that you think at the time you shouldn't have. No, I don't think at the time, I don't think I realized I was even missing anything. So I was content and happy and everything was, was good in my opinion. Okay. This concludes part one of our interview with Melissa Jones. Check out part two where we will continue the discussion.